Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Would the Apostle Paul wear a face mask? Depending on your viewpoint, to some of you this will be good news, to some of you this will be bad news. It's like the guy heard about who just got married and told his buddy. His friend said, oh, that's good news. No, it's bad news. She's mean and ugly. His buddy said, oh, that's bad news. Well, no, it's good news. She's really rich. That's good news. No, it's bad news. She's stingy. Well, that is bad news. The groom said, well, it's not completely bad. She built a mansion and lets me stay in one of the rooms. Well, that's good news. No, it's bad news. It burnt down. Oh, that is bad news. No, it's good news. She was in it. Let me begin by saying I hate wearing the mask. For one thing, I'm a little claustrophobic to the point that whenever I have an MRI, I have to undergo a mild sedation. I feel like I'm in a a coffin that's so close to my face, like I can lick the top of the machine. So, I hate wearing the face mask. But while it is mandated, I'm going to. I'm going to give you the two main reasons I think it is scriptural. I realize there are many people who are going to disagree with me, and so each person has to decide on their own what they are going to do once they leave this building. This is something that every believer needs to study and then come to their own biblical conclusion on. Let me begin by saying I realize there are some people who have honest-to-God medical reasons why they can't wear the mask. That is an entirely different matter. I'm talking about Christians who can wear a mask, but simply refuse to do so. There are many Christians who are saying we shouldn't obey this mandate because it is directed at closing down or silencing the churches. That would make more sense to me if the government had not also suspended college and professional sports and closed several non-essential corporations and most schools and universities. We're talking about billions of dollars that are being lost. Now, for the sake of argument, if our government was allowing the sports to continue and not enforcing their fans to wear a face covering, but still mandating that churches couldn't meet, or if they did, they only had to comply with face coverings, well now, that's a completely different argument, where I have to practice civil disobedience for the sake of my conscience. Why? Because it would be clear to me that they were targeting my Christian faith. So I'm not some mindless lemmy who just follows Uncle Sam's rules because he says so. I try to view all things through the lens of the scripture. And so I want to come at this from two different directions this morning. The first will be governmental and the second will be relational. I only ask that you don't that you hear me out and don't mentally cut me off if and when you disagree. This sermon will make little sense to you if you don't hear the whole thing. And then if you disagree with me, that's fine. At the end, you can even throw stuff if you want. I've got a plastic shield in front of me, so I'm good now. Let me first tell you why I felt the need to do this and to depart from verse-by-verse teaching. Blame Facebook. 
I finally got tired of seeing all the posts that those who are following the mask mandate were either cowardly Christians or unpatriotic for allowing the government to tell us what to do. I will need you to give me some time to develop my responses to both of those issues. I will address the subject of should the Christian obey the government first. This is Romans chapter 13, which Jonathan just read to us. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but evil. You want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have to have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does, it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, and avenger brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience' sake. Now, allow me to give you the historical background from which these words were penned. Around AD 56, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians living in the ancient city of Rome. Roman Christians had recently seen a new emperor rise to power, a tyrant named Nero Claudius Caesar. His ascension to the throne was probably orchestrated by his mother, Agrippina, who likely murdered her husband, Claudius Caesar. Just eight years after this letter was wrote, a fire broke out in Rome. To deflect accusations that he had started the fire in order to make room for palace expansions, Nero blamed the Christians. After this, Christians were horribly persecuted under his leadership. History tells us some of them were dressed in animal skins and torn apart by dogs while others were dipped in torch and then burned to death as nighttime torches that provided the light for the emperor's palace garden parties. So we must keep in mind, this is the government about which Paul is speaking when he says the government is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This is the governing authority to whom Christians were told at that time to submit. Keep that in the back of your mind. Once again, I stress the importance of context in Scripture. Romans 13 must be understood in the context of Romans chapter 12. Too often, Christians read and interpret Romans chapter 13 in isolation. This is a huge mistake. In Romans chapter 12, Paul tells Christians how they are to live in light of God's mercy. The overwhelming message of Romans chapter 12 is that Christians are supposed to be people of peace for the sake of the gospel. Even if they are persecuted, even if they are mistreated, and even if they are cursed, they must be different than the world around them. They are told to be patient in tribulation. They are told to bless their persecutors. They're told to pay no one evil for evil. They're even told to give food and drink to their enemies. And they did this while being hunted down and killed like animals. That is called persecution. 
Wearing a mask is not persecution. If people don't want to wear one, then don't. But please quit saying the Bible tells you not to because it doesn't. This is the difference between the Bill of Rights and the Bible being your authority. Paul would later say in Titus 3.1, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. The Roman government in which the early church lived not only was thoroughly pagan and morally debauched, but was also despotic, oppressive, unjust, and brutal. Nevertheless, Paul makes clear the Christian's obligation was to respect and obey human government, even if it is not democratic or just, but solely on it being the God-ordained means by which human society is regulated. Therefore, as Paul makes clear in the passage just cited, the person who resists and opposes human government resists and opposes God. That is not just my opinion. That is the plain and clear reading of Romans chapter 13. We are to be obedient to human authorities. The only exception regards their commanding us to do something that is against the commandments of God. Such an exception is found in Acts chapter 4. When the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council of Jerusalem, ordered Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, the apostles replied with these words, Whether it is in right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge of that. But we cannot stop speaking what we have both seen and heard. So anytime the government tells us to do something against the law of God, we are called to, no strike that, we are actually commanded to do, at that point to practice civil disobedience. And so when I read of people who, obey, who refuse to obey the government in non-religious issues, I have to disagree with that position. Once again, do I want to wear the mask? No, I do not. But I will submit to wearing it. And by the way, that is the very definition of submission. Submission is doing something we would rather not do. Wives, when you're told to submit to your husband, do you always want to do it? I mean, you watch this man clip his toenails. And so probably not. Plus the need to submit. For instance, I've never once had to practice submission when someone offered me a piece of cheesecake. Or we may try to be polite and say something like, oh, if you insist. But in our hearts of hearts, what we know we would really like to do is to grab the entire cake, a gallon of milk, and go binge watch Netflix. Now, this is where I'm going to be even more unpopular. Over and over again, I read of many Christians who are absolutely militant on demanding their rights as American citizens and they use the scripture as their authority. But they err when they equate patriotism and nationalistic freedom and Christian freedom. Those two things aren't always the same. Sometimes they're actually the exact opposite. Now before you think your pastor is a traitor or someone who hates his country, 
If you didn't know, I spent 10 of the prime years of my life from 1985 to 1995 in the Air Force until I was honorably discharged. I worked as an electrician on fighter jets in North Dakota. Don't ever go there, it's freezing. And I was also stationed in England and Germany. I also went to Turkey during the Gulf War, so I actually served in a time of combat. So I feel I have somewhat of a platform to speak from as someone who is actually a veteran. And so I feel confident to tell you that this is the difference between patriotic freedom and Christian freedom. Patriotic freedom says, I have my rights as outlined in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and God pity the fool who asked me to lay them down. I know well-meaning believers who will insist on their rights regardless of the circumstances or how it may affect anyone else. The reason for this, I think, is because there are many Christians who equate the Bill of Rights and the Constitution as being equal to Scripture in many ways. And sadly, often I think when the Scripture contradicts the Constitution, they will choose the Constitution and use the Bible to back up their decision. Now, in fairness to them, this may be because they don't know the Bible as well as they should in its full context. I cannot possibly overstress this. The only way to understand and fully apply scripture is you have to know how it all works together. Years ago, a man gave me a sermon from a pastor used a verse from Galatians 5, 1 that says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourself again to a yoke of slavery. The preacher then spent the remaining sermon, if you could call it that, talking about how the government now has no control over the Christian, and so we aren't required to obey its laws because we are now free in Christ. Now, if you didn't know the Bible, you might think, that makes sense. But is that what Galatians 5.1 is addressing? No, not even close. The verse is speaking about our freedom in the salvation of Christ and a warning not to go back under the Mosaic law. Of course, if he would have started reading the first chapter of Galatians, that would have been made abundantly clear to him. But there are people who use the scripture like that to tell other Christians we don't have to obey the government if we feel like they are trampling on our rights. Now, once again, I don't want to paint with a broom here. I fully understand there is a great range of differing opinions of people who insist on their rights. Those who disagree with me all have different lines they refuse to cross when it comes to obeying or not obeying the authorities. This is where it gets sticky. If we don't use the, the Acts chapter 4 model that I just mentioned, let me ask you, where do we know when to draw the line? What I mean is, the government that tells me to wear a mask also tells me I can only drive 55 miles per hour. Who are they to tell me how fast I can drive my car? I paid for my car. I paid for the insurance on my car. I paid taxes to keep the roads nice-ish. <laughs> and they want me to go 55? 
Honey, my equinox can probably go 95 downhill with a good strong wind at my back. And by the way, what happens if we all just ignore the laws that are in place? We will be just like the people in the book of Judges. The very last verse of the book of Judges says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. There was no authority. What was the result? Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. We can see a real-life example of what that looks like in Seattle, Washington, right now. And you know that's going to turn out well. If you've ever watched or read The Lord of the Flies, that will give you a good idea of what is right in front of our eyes. What I'm trying to get across to us is there is a different standard concerning rights for those who name the name of Christ. It's not about demanding our rights. It's about willingly giving up even legitimate rights. If it means helping someone else or advancing the kingdom of God. The thing with obeying scripture is we don't get to pick and choose while we obey or disobey. Not if we want to be true disciples. It just doesn't work like that. Next slide, please. This is Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Now, please pay close attention to this next part. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What is Paul saying there? It is simple to understand, but can be extremely difficult to implement. In a nutshell, it's saying that I should consider you as being more important than myself. Now that's a problem. Because if I'm not careful, not only do I not only think about myself, I think you only think about me. But the Bible teaches that if you are struggling in an area, I should try to help you even if I think you are a weak or confused in that matter. There's a great example, example of Paul actually giving us a case study in this in which he lets us know that he also practices what he preaches. The background is some of the new Christians had come out of idolatry where they would sacrifice food to idols. The food would then be sold at the marketplace for a much cheaper price. And so most Christians had no trouble buying it because they know the idols now held no sway over them. But some believers were a little weaker in their faith and they struggled with this. Next slide. This is 1 Corinthians 8, 7. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God, we are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. 
But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose who sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Do you understand what Paul just said? This isn't just semantics. He is deadly serious. Paul is saying, if eating meat truly offends my brother or sister, from this point forward, anytime Anytime I'm in your company during a time of eating, I will pass up the T-bone and have the artichoke and tofu salad until the day I die. Please notice, even though Paul didn't agree with the weaker Christians, he chose love for them over his legitimate liberty to eat the sacrificed meat. Would the Apostle Paul wear a face mask? Let's just replace the word food with the word mask. And I think you have your answer. Likewise, even those Christians who think those who feel the need to wear the mask are either wrong or weak, if we follow the scripture here, we will do it out of love for them. This is where Pastor Bill has to issue a public apology. Even when the masks were not mandated, I should have set the example by at least wearing the mask when I was in close proximity to you, to those of you who feel the need to wear the mask. And even when the mandate is lifted, I will try my best to wear one anytime I'm around you. And I ask your forgiveness in this matter. One last example, and it's an important one. What would Jesus do? Or better, what would Jesus have us do when the government commands us to do something that we don't want to do? Matthew 5, 41 gives us that answer. Last slide. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. You may be, you may be thinking, what in the world does that mean? Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, invented the postal system to carry letters and documents from one place to another. And to make his system work, any courier could force anyone to carry the mile for one mile, but only for one mile. The Romans adopted this system for their military to keep their soldiers from getting worn out from carrying the heavy backpacks, which weighed around 66 pounds. And so Roman soldiers could compel any Jew to carry his backpack for one mile. And so this was a Roman law during the time of Jesus where a Roman soldier could force a civilian to carry his heavy gear for the distance of a mile so that he could rest. The law designed to relieve the soldier not only caused great inconvenience to the civilians, but was made even more despicable by the fact that the oppressed were made to carry the equipment and the weapons of their oppressors. Outside of combat, the Roman soldier is probably never more hated than when he forced someone to carry his pack. 
Roman roads had mile markers, similar to the mile markers we have today on interstate highways. So it was easy to know where each mile started and ended. If someone refused to do this, they would be flogged. As you can imagine, the Jews hated the Romans because they were Gentile foreigners running their country. And so it was no surprise that carrying a Roman soldier's heavy backpacks for a mile added to that hatred. The distance was actually, though, two miles because he had to carry it one mile to wherever the soldier was going, and then he had to walk a mile back to where he was previously. When a Roman soldier told someone to carry his pack, the Jew would have to drop everything he was doing and go out of his way to obey that order. I'm sure every Roman soldier felt resentment and heard complaining by the person carrying that pack. And so the person will usually carry it one mile and unceremoniously drop it immediately at the one mile marker and then go back home. Now Jesus says, not only do I want you to carry it one mile, I want you to carry it two miles. Why? Well, we don't carry Roman backpacks anymore. But the principle applies to every area of our lives today, in our relationships at home, at our jobs, or in the church. Christ calls us to go the extra mile, going above and beyond what is asked of us. A Roman soldier says to a Christian, hey you, carry my pack. The Christian says, yes sir, and he joyfully starts walking along with the soldier. After one mile, the soldier says, okay, you can put it down. Believer says, I'd really like to carry it another mile if you don't mind. The shocked soldier, why possibly would you want to do that? The Christian explains, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and he told us to do this for you. The soldier then perhaps would ask, who is this Jesus that you follow? By carrying the pack an extra mile and not only showed him the love of God, but opened up an opportunity to tell him about Christ. There's no telling how many soldiers became Christians during that second mile. Maybe we would see a lot more people become Christians if we would just go the extra mile for them. One last statement and I'm done. When we are asked, along with the rest of society, to lay down a cherished liberty, we should surrender it rather than retaliate. In doing so, we are obedient to our Lord and testify to his righteousness, knowing that in him we have a freedom that the world can never take from us. So we are free in the sense that we are free to obey the word of God. Would the Apostle Paul have a mask on this morning? Yes. Yes, he would. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I know your word is not always popular. But, Father, I think this is the clear reading of what you have commanded us to do. I know that in part because I don't like it. And that's, I know my flesh screams usually against the things that it doesn't like. But I pray, Father, that uh, it would go forth, not only in this room, but across the Internet, and at least cause people to think, and that you would just reveal your truth to them. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.